everyone and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, it's late. Really, really late. <laughs> I was just trying to hold in a yawn, but it's like I'm wired, but I'm yawning because <laughs> that last game really, it was the late, late game crew after dark but it was also i think in a lot of ways the most exciting game we saw so it's this weird in between for me right now joe we had that weather delay and that threw off the times already and we had the first it's 7 30 my time but i know it's 9 30 east 10 30 i can do math 10 30 eastern time kickoff with that late slot and then that 45 minute delay as i talked about pushed everything back it pushed the red bulls atlanta game back and it pushed the crew cincinnati game back to 11 24 eastern time kickoff Ooh. which is honestly an absurd time to start a game of soccer like this game spanned two days in most of the u.s right and i don't know if any player has ever played in a game that has done that that has gone from one day to the next the late kickoff you know you, you think about those players and they prepped for a game at ten thirty. well if you press that back a whole extra hour like what did their physically what did their bodies need that maybe they didn't weren't allowed to prepare it for because of the delay it's just crazy like you have to give props to these guys they are doing the most to participate in this tournament. So I, I just feel really thankful because we saw some good, some good soccer tonight. We really did see some good soccer. We haven't spoiled any score lines yet. So I think now is the time. If, if again, if you haven't seen the score lines and you're for some reason listening to this, you've been warned. Going chronologically, the Red Bulls beat Atlanta United 1-0 in the first game of today or yesterday or whatever day it was now. And then <laughs> that game sort of wet our appetites for the goals that the crew scored in the second game, that 4-0 win over FC Cincinnati. So, Jordan, as long as you're okay with this, let's keep things chronological and start with that Red Bulls game. Yeah, that, that sounds good to me. And I was in also working mode. So, Joe, you really dug into this New York Red Bulls Atlanta United game. I want to know, I've got a couple questions for you about it, sure. but I want to know just how these two teams set up first and foremost. Absolutely. So let's start with the Red Bulls. The Red Bulls came out in a pretty classic Chris Armas Red Bull shape. They were in a 4-4-2 four, four, or a 4 triple 2 or a 4-2-4, four, four, some combination. Those things are almost the same, just depending on the situation. They came out with those distinct lines across their defensive shape. Atlanta United was a little bit more difficult to pin down. They had three in the back under Frank DeBoer. The two wingbacks, Brooks Lennon and George Bellow, pushed really high. They had that double pivot mostly, but then they're playing without a true number nine, right? So Pitti Martinez ended up playing as that false nine for a lot of this game. And the front three was really transformative at times he would drop in and at times one of the other wide sort of central attackers in that mm -hmm. front three would drop in it was a flexible shape but not necessarily in the best way what do you mean by that because the the bits and pieces that i've i got to watch i was intrigued by with what atlanta was doing i was noticing mo adams as well as one of those central players drifted wide sometimes sometimes he looked like he was almost defending in a back four helping out the back line it seemed like there was a real fluidity to them and it brings a point of is there too much fluidity yes. in that system i'm so glad you said that because i was about to say that exact thing i think the fluidity from frank de is admirable but there's almost too much going on in this game we had wingbacks and and those 
attacking players in the wide part of the front three, or it's still not a very wide front three, but you get the idea. Those players would rotate in and out. The, the central midfielders, that's a great point that you identified there, Jordan. Mo Adams and Emerson Hindman would move away from their two spots in central midfield together, sometimes both at the same time. They would shift yeah. wide, almost where you would expect the center backs to be, the wide center backs in that three at the back, just to get out of the cover shadow of the Red Bulls front two and to get away from that sort of blanket that the Red Bulls front six, the two wide players, the two forwards and the two midfielders would have. They could not get on the ball in that space very well at all. And so they'd move wide. My issue with that, though, and I think this is a big part of why Atlanta United didn't have a ton of attacking success in this game, especially in the first half, is that that's the center back space, right? You're playing a 3v2 in the back, three center backs versus two forwards. Why are you not having your center backs, Franco Escobar on one side and Meza on the other side, two very good offensive center backs? Why not have them be the playmakers? That's kind of what they're there for. But we just didn't see it hardly at all for Atlanta with those center backs. That's disappointing because I know that you, one, were probably so excited to see (laughs) that because your love for center backs is real. But two, those two players are good on the ball and they can be playmaking center backs. And it almost seems like you they didn't have an opportunity to do some of the things that they're best at because of that. Correct. Yeah. And also credit to the Red Bulls, right? They scored that goal early on in the fourth minute. It's Florian Valo with the goal. A fantastic story, first of all. And I know, Jordan, you can identify with that injury rehab more than certainly more than I can and more than almost anybody else in the world can. But that goal is fantastic. The Red Bulls win the ball deep on the left side of the field after an Atlanta United attack. Escobar, as that ball side outside center back, stepped up steps up to counter press. The other two center backs, Miles Robinson and Meza, shift over, but George Bellow, the left wing back, doesn't shift in this counter press. Mm. He doesn't tuck inside, and that leaves a big gap for Velo to run through. Kaku hits a, a really, really nice one-touch left-footed wow, ball right? into Valo on the run. Valo goes forward and and slots it past Brad Guzan. It is beautiful Red Bull soccer. If any of our listeners haven't seen this goal, it is quite nice. The ability of Kaku to play that ball, it was first time, wasn't it? First time. (laughs) I mean, that is a hard pass to play in the prime of season. And to do that in the first few minutes of this game just shows you the character that he has on the ball. He's such a quality player. But I also think something that sticks out to me that people underestimate is I love this idea of counter press and how it really is pressing the counter attack. And when it goes wrong, it can go really wrong. Mm-hmm. If, if everybody doesn't go together and they don't go and press the counter attack, well, there's going to be huge gaps and good teams are going to figure out a way to punish you for that. And I feel like the Red Bulls did that in that goal. They 100% did it in that goal and in other moments as well that didn't end up in goals. In this game, I think the main theme for me and my main takeaway was that this Red Bull team came in with really clean, quick offensive combinations almost the entire game. It was crisp layoffs. It was direct runs. It was quick decision-making and good final passes. That Kaku final Mm -hmm. pass was absurd. So even setting that one aside, really good, well-weighted balls to get that final movement in before a shot. They didn't ultimately end up getting any more goals. But if the Red Bulls can attack like this, that's high-level, quick tight attacking play that's going to make them really, really difficult to stop if they can pair that with some of their defensive work that we also saw against Atlanta in this game. One of the things I want to ask you, because when a team plays in this type of formation, a four back with either a box in the midfield and two strikers or uh, two holding mids and 
a variety of those those upper four. Who's who are the players that are giving them the most width? Like where is the width coming from in attack? Is it the outside backs? Is it those is it any of the four in the midfield? What did you notice about the way the Red Bulls are playing there? Ideally for the Red Bulls, my perception is that there's no width. Um, but there has to be some, right? There are times right. which you need, in which you need width. And I think that's where the fullbacks come in, especially Kyle Duncan in this game at right back. He was like, number one, likes to get forward as well. And so him combining with Velo and them working together on that same side is a nice look for the Red Bulls as well. But usually, at least I saw in this game, it's the wide midfielders tucking inside and playing off of the front two, Tom Barlow and Danny Royer. Then it's the fullbacks that are responsible for providing some sort of width when it's needed Again, though, I don't think that's something that they're trying to go for. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious. Interesting. Yeah. And I did notice the ability for Duncan to get forward. The, I, I was getting prepped for the Columbus Crew game, and I was trying to do all my work there and seeing glimpses of it, and it seemed like the Red Bulls were attacking with some promise down the right-hand side. Yeah. One quick note on Atlanta before we move on to the second game of this episode, Atlanta did not show well in the first half. They really struggled. They couldn't stop the Red Bulls attack and they couldn't really generate attacks of their own. But they did look better, at least in my estimation, with Ezekiel Barco on the field and with an actual number nine in Adam John. Mm. Partly, I think, because the game was waning and the Red Bulls were content to sit deep. So Atlanta naturally pushed forward. But they looked more comfortable with Barco on the field because I think he still is their best player. So with a nine as a reference point to sort of have the rest of the off-ball movements to move around him. And with Barco in the lineup, if we see those changes for a future group stage matchup, expect Atlanta to look better than they did in this game. And how can Barco be the best young player of the tournament, Joe, (laughs) if he's not playing all the minutes? (laughs) That's a great point. That is a great point. He needs to get on the field, Frank. Okay, Jordan, we went through New York's 1-0 win over Atlanta United. Now we've got the goal fest, right? You were at the Crew Stadium for this match, even though they weren't playing there. We had some beautiful goals in this game, and I saw you tweet about it. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I. it's going to take a while for me to get over that free kick goal, and we'll go through it. But I, I think what was interesting to me, Joe, is if you watched the first five minutes of the game, you would have said, wow, FC Cincinnati is the mm-hmm. better team. Yep. You know why this? I think this is? Is because FC Cincinnati know exactly who the crew are. Everybody knows exactly who the crew is, right? They've had film to watch. They know Caleb Porter. So they could prepare for that. Mm-hmm. And then they could come out and say, nobody knows what we're going to do. And so I think for those first five minutes, they got on the ball and they started to play. And I, I think that the... Two holding mids for the crew didn't do a good enough job of they stepped too high to defend in um, pockets of the field, like in the middle of the field. So then there was such a big gap in front of the back line that it caused problems for the crew. And once they sorted that, it was unfortunately after that Vito Warmgore injury, which I hope he is okay because that looked brutal. It was a switch there. I think that the crew adjusted. And from there, it was just like FC Cincinnati couldn't touch the ball. We hear about FC Cincinnati being bad a lot. We hear about them not performing well, and we see it too. But we rarely, if ever, get an explanation as to why 
that are so bad other than they don't have an identity and they don't have, you know, a style of play. But what does that mean? Right. Those are all really generic terms. And so I sort of watch this game through the lens of what do Cincinnati do and why are they bad? And I think I have at least a partial explanation. Okay, I think we would love to hear this because I have something of my own, but I am curious. I didn't watch it with that lens and I want to know what that lens told you. So that lens gave me this partial explanation, as I said. So my reasoning for SC Cincinnati's poor performance tonight was their weird attempt at man marking, especially on the first two goals. Yes. Okay. I think we're on the same page, so you can cut in at any point in time. I'm going to use the two goals as example points here because, number one, we got to talk about these nice goals from Columbus. And number two, they do serve this overall point. So first goal for the crew comes in the 26th minute. FC Cincinnati is back defending in their own half. Harris Madunian is on Lucas Zellerayan. That's because they're sort of at least semi-man marking. Midfielder, that's the defensive midfielder for Cincinnati on the attacking midfielder for the Columbus crew. That's a natural matchup. So Madunian is on Zellerayan with FC Cincinnati's man-oriented midfield defending. Jonathan Mensa is carrying the ball forward from right center back. Zellerayan makes a run back towards him to create separation from Madunian. Mensa plays him the ball, Zellerayan receives it, turns, and blows right past Madunian. Eventually, Frankie Amaya has to come over and foul him, which leads to that free kick that Zellerayan scores from a ridiculous angle with his right foot. But that's the man marking, letting Harris Madunian down and letting all of Cincinnati down, because that's not a favorable matchup at all. That's interesting that you said it was Madunian, because right before the goal got scored, I thought Frankie Amaya was man marking Zellerayan. Doesn't and, that just speaks to our point? Right. And and Celerion started drifting to the left, and I saw Amaya start drifting to the left, or to his right, following Celerion. And I was like, oh, he's man-marking. So then when the foul happened, hmm. it actually didn't surprise me, because I was like, Amaya wasn't in a good spot. He lost his mark, and now he's like, oh my gosh, my mark is going to score. I'm supposed to be marking this guy, right? So then there's like a try-hard moment. But that's interesting. I guess I didn't notice it was so full, the whole midfield. I thought it was more of a one-on-one match. I think it was across, not across the entire field, but there were moments when it was fullbacks on wingers and wingers on fullbacks in the three-man midfield versus the other three-man midfield. Cincinnati mm-hmm. structured it specifically in this game to have their midfield in particular matched up against Artur, against Nagby, and against Zellerayan. We saw something similar on the next goal, but in a little bit of a different spot on the field. So it's the 30th minute. Darlington Nagby plays the ball to Mukhtar, who plays it to Zardes for the goal. That's the overall picture here. But if we zoom in a little bit, it's Saad Abdul Salam, the, the right back for Cincinnati, who's stepping into midfield, and he looks a bit confused about whether he's supposed to be man-marking Mukhtar, <laughs> who's that winger on his side. It's a left, left-sided attacking midfielder for the Columbus. He doesn't know what to do, and he ends up sort of half-heartedly keeping an eye on Mukhtar before backpedaling and trying to cover Zardes off the ball. But it's way too late. The decision took way too long. He doesn't know what to do, which is mm-hmm. not specifically his fault necessarily. But he doesn't know where to go. Mukhtar plays the ball into Zardes, and he finishes, and it's 2-0. And at that point, the game is really over. Okay, that's really... So I'm going to... My breakdown of that play was... Celerion was noticing who was getting man marked. So when you think you're the only person getting man marked, you're going to take yourself out Away. of. Yeah. And bring the player with you. Mm-hmm. And so that was allowing Mokhtar to come inside and fill this gap internally where 
he is 100% comfortable in that 10 spot as well. And then he could just create because there was no additional midfielder in there in the middle because he moved outside with Celerion. So I think both of those things happened. It's just really interesting that we broke that down differently. In different ways. Yeah. yeah. But the, so the overall point here, I think, though, is is valid. It's that Cincinnati is trying out this sort of man marking most of the time, but sometimes it also looks like they're just in a four one four one zonal block, which yeah. which really isn't good. It's really a little bit confusing to see what they're doing, partially because it doesn't seem like Cincinnati has the personnel to do that. Yeah. And I feel like that is a really hard thing to implement because a lot of players don't play that way. Mm-hmm. That's not how you're taught how to play a a lot of the times. So if you're trying to come in as a new coach, maybe this is something he brought. Maybe it's not. Maybe this is something that they're holding over. But that wouldn't be like my way to win a team over and say, (laughs) hey, this is how we're going to defend. I just met you guys. Yeah, first game under under Stom, and that's a a bit of a rough introduction. I do think I'd have to go back and, and check. I think Cincinnati have been doing this in the past. And I just haven't put the puzzle together in my head because I've always uh-huh. looked at this midfield and been been wondering, what is this? Why does it look so strange? Why are the players in places where they shouldn't be? Like, why is Medunian in off way across the field where I wouldn't expect a central defensive midfielder to be? And I think this is the reason why we've seen Cincinnati get picked apart so much. Yeah. Yeah. Also, though, credit to Columbus, right? I don't want to just talk about Cincinnati. This isn't just Cincinnati is bad, and this is why. Columbus also, the way they move the ball is so purposeful and so fun to watch and so intentional with every pass to move the ball forward. It genuinely is a thing of beauty. Yeah, Columbus nearly doubled the the passes that Cincinnati had tonight uh, with over 600 passes. And if you watch the game, you're not surprised by that number because... They, they do. And, and there were moments of real lull and they weren't, they weren't upset about right, that, right? Like it didn't change the way that they were going to attack. There was actually a point where I felt like Nagby on the ball just like actually just stopped. And this is what is really interesting about Darlington Nagby is he is so good at reading and playing off a change of pace. So he stops on the ball, and he's the metronome, right? I talked about it. He keeps the pace for this team. And when he stops on the ball, everybody else is still kind of moving, but then the defense starts to shift towards him, and he'll spin out, and he gets out in a in a gif and beats a player, and then they're off the other side. I think that they handled the different types of pressure from Cincinnati well, and the they set the pace they absolutely set the pace nagby as the metronome artur also with a lot of technical ability and ability to drop back and and play in any space on the field really he can drop between the center backs or push high up the field to create in the final third and zelarayan as well the free kick goal the assist i mean so many moments from him and zardes and from him and the midfielders that makes me think that this columbus crew spine the attacking spine might be the best in mls oh wow joe we haven't seen everybody play yet. I like that though. It's it's a little it's early. Fun to watch. It is it's early. It is so fun to watch though. And that's I think maybe I'm still on the high, but those guys are undeniably good. Yeah. From my perspective, I can't say I'm not happy with the result, <laughs> right? And working for the Columbus crew, I am very happy with the result. But I, 
I think if you look at this FC Cincinnati team seemed defeated. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you look at this game, you're going to take a lot of positives out of it, but you're also going to know, okay, these two other teams that we talked about earlier, well, they, one, are now looking at the crew and saying, okay, we got to up our game a little bit, right? And two, they want to do better than they did before. So I think that the competition in these next couple games will definitely be increased. But it's hard to deny just how much a game can change when you have a player who draws so much attention. There was times when Celerion dribbled out of a place where he had four or five players yep. on him. It's ridiculous. And and when you're talking about you could talk about tactics, right? But like that is a tactic is one draw players, defensive players into him and then somebody has to be open or you're going to get fouled. And that's what happened for the first goal and uh it opens things up. I actually his goal was phenomenal, but his assist uh the way it dropped in to Zardes's foot, like perf- perfectly, he didn't even have to try. It was beautiful. I just... <laughs> but I do think you see some of the tendencies of the crew in this game. Nagby dropping in as a center back, helping those into like more of a three back, pushing the outside backs forward to create um, some overloads on the wings. I, I think that the crew really uh, came and felt should feel comfortable with how they can build off of this game predicting the quality of future games in this tournament seems like a fool's errand but i'm excited to see the crew and the red bulls play each other the two winners from tonight that we talked about the red bulls really solid defensively and with their quick transition attacks were were quite excellent especially higher up the field the crew passed the ball like nobody's business tonight they made life really really difficult for cincinnati Seeing those two teams come together and collide where you know what you're getting from each of them, that's going to be fun. Next on the docket. (laughs) Next on the docket. Jordan, it's late. We've gone through these two games. We'll be back again tomorrow with more. Yeah, I'm going to go to sleep. It's actually we're going to be back today. So I'm going to sleep now. (laughs) All right. Good night, Joe. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) 